All right, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through to 39 is going to be our first section of Scripture. I'm going to read a lot here, so everybody just lean in, get your ears on. It's early, you've had your coffee, and you love Jesus. Here we go. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation, here it is, eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay. We talked about decay a couple weeks ago, all right? Into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray as we should. Have you ever been there before? Like, what do I even say? What do I even pray? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groaning. So there's two groanings here. The Spirit's groaning for us as we groan for him. All right? And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together. You've heard this before. For the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Like I said, a lot of Bible because we need to hear this. So just follow with me, track with me, okay? What then are we to say about these things? Everybody shout these things. Come on, shout these things. What are these things? These things are these things that we're going through. These things were the things that they were going through in the moment that Paul was writing to them. And can I just tell you this right now, church, listen to me. The things we are experiencing today are not new. The only difference was is we did not have Twitter and Instagram to tell us about it in a nanosecond. Right? Like CNN and Fox News and whatever, you just throw those two out there, okay? (laughs) Those are the ones, right? All the news, they didn't have news sources then to tell them about all the suffering in the world. I just need us to know that they knew it. And how do they knew it? Not by news, but by experience. Think about that. Many of us aren't even suffering, but we suffer because we watch others suffer. These guys knew suffering. They didn't need Twitter to inform them. And isn't it getting crazy with the amount of stuff out there talking about all the bad things that can happen in life right now? So I follow like KSL, our local news station, so it's, it's doing all the things. And then literally, I read an article, maybe you read this the other day, they were telling us about a meteor that potentially could hit us in 200 years. Come on, somebody. How many of you know that's good news today? I'm just going to let you know, I do not care about a meteor 200 years from now. Doesn't matter. Why? Because I'll be with Jesus. <laughs> We're good at focusing on bad news. So he says, what are, what are we to say about these things? Every shout, these things? these things. And he says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How, how will he not also with him grant us everything? And then he goes through some of these things, talking about who Jesus is. And then he says this, as it's written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. 
We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. And he says in verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Bible. Okay, next verse. John chapter 16, verses 31 to 33. It says, Jesus responded to them, do you now believe Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you, will, and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Here it is. Here's the good news. Caleb moment from Jesus himself. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. Come on, somebody. I've conquered the world, Jesus would say. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of one of power, love, and sound judgment. Here's another one. And here's the last one. Here's what I want to focus on today. We're going to work through this specific chapter. It's John chapter 14, verse 1, and it says this. And these guys are going to move the screen until we figure it out. So just listen with your beautiful ears. Or if you have your Bibles. How many of you have your Bibles today? Like leather, bound, paper. Okay, cool. Some of you are quick on the uptake with the phones. Perfect. All right. John chapter 14, verse 1. Write it down. Go look at these later. It says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Today, all of these scriptures point us to talk about this subject right here. As we continue on in our series, This Side of Heaven, I want to speak to you from the subject, Trust Falls. As we look at learning how to trust Jesus as we experience what we are experiencing in life this side of heaven. Will you pray with me just one more time? Jesus, I thank you for your presence in this place right now. And I thank you that your, your word, it's, it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, and it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. So God, right now, we ask you to do what you said you would do through your word, and that is bring freedom and light to our lives. And God, right now, I pray that our hearts would be changed and transformed, that our minds would be ready to receive what it is that you have for us today. And no matter where we are at on the spectrum of faith today, God, I pray that you would do a significant work in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, come on. And everybody shouted? Amen. Everybody shouted? Amen. Amen. How many of you, show of hands, have played the game Trust Falls before? Like, come on, put them up. There's no judgment in this room. All right, this is not a trick question. Okay, if you have not played this game before... Um, I invite you to do so after church today. Maybe as, you, maybe as you're waiting in line at a restaurant. Um, could be fun. Maybe at home with your kids. Um, I've played with my, with my kids before, um, and they no longer trust me as their father. <laughs> it was therapy. Um, so, but if you have not played this game before, it's a, it's a fascinating game because we invent fascinating games like this, which is simply you have somebody stand behind you and you close your eyes and you put your arms like this and you fall. Because we're great with inventions, us humans. And you fall and the whole point of the game is that the person standing behind you, you are having to trust them to catch you, right? And how many of you know that if you were to play this game, like you want a person that you know behind you? that for the most part likes you, right? If you work through the process, the tr like trust falls game is exactly that. It's about 
understanding that you have a person behind you that you can trust. Interesting thing is, is if we were to do a, a little bit like of a live play on this one, if I just said, everybody, I want you to stand up right now, turn around, we're gonna play trust falls. Most of you'd be like, nope, and I'm leaving this church right now. Because the truth is, there's very little trust in this room right now. Maybe the person you're sitting next to, but if I were to be like, okay, everybody go to a couple aisles behind you and we're gonna do trust falls. You'd be like, no, uh-uh. And I don't want anybody touching me. (laughs) And so I started thinking about that that game as I've played it many times. I played it in college, and I've played it in high school. I played it in junior high school. We did it when I was on my swim team. Why? Because the whole the whole idea was to build this thing called trust. Everybody shout shout trust. trust. And how many of you agree with me? Trust is hard, especially in this day and age. Trust is hard. Yet, the Bible drives us to this place of understanding that this side of heaven, we've got to learn to trust God. And in this moment that we're in right now, this cultural moment, this this societal moment, this, this reality in history, I want to invite us into this journey today of discovering what it looks like to trust Jesus. Because I would submit to all of us today That outside of anything that we can do this side of heaven, trusting Jesus is the most important thing we can do. Because everything else is going to shake, everything else is going to rattle, everything else is going to shimmy and move and, and, and not be there. And nothing, I'm telling you, nothing this side of heaven is as trustworthy as Jesus. Because like we sang today, come on, he's done it once before and he's going to do it again. He is well able. Charles Spurgeon would say it like this. Very pointedly, he says, if you cannot trust God for the temporal, how dare you trust him for the eternal? I want us to think about that. It's interesting that many of us will espouse a faith that trusts God for eternity, but we first fear in the here and now. And I don't say that in order to shame any of us, but there has to be some sort of attention drawn to the truth that in this life, we are never meant to take up residence in comfort. But rather, we are to live in such a way that we trust in God and are here and now just as much as we trust him for eternity. And I just want to point us in that direction because many of us, we can say, yeah, I, I believe in heaven and I believe in Jesus, but I tremble and shake right now. And if we're going to trust him with eternity, oh, come on, somebody, we should be able to trust him with the here and now. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to experience things in life. The problem that many of us face is that we simply do not know how to trust and we don't know why we should trust The last piece of scripture that we just read in in John chapter 14, verse 1, is a really important text for us to understand right now. Because I believe in it, Jesus gives us a summation as to why and how we can and should trust him in the midst of what the Bible calls a light and momentary affliction. And the reason that many of us struggle to trust God in the midst of this life is because we've been conditioned with the notion that health, safety, smooth waters, and great prosperity are proof of God's hand being in our lives. Come on, somebody. We've bought in, I'm going to say this, and it's going to step on toes, to American Christianity. Come on, someone shout American. American. Health, (laughs) safety, 
smooth waters, and great prosperity. And then we become completely destabilized as we experience what we are currently challenged with and facing in our world right now. So the fear ratchets up and the trust begins to wane, not because we're afraid of losing our lives, but because we're afraid of losing Starbucks. None of us got up today fearing our life. Many of us got up today fearing our comfort. Am I talking to anybody in church today? <laughs> this is a big deal. And again, I don't come because I do this as, as well. We have these conversations at our table. Like, like, what would we do if, you ever played that game before? What would we do if I, if I lost this and I, and I lost this and I lost this? I had to have a conversation with, my, with one of my children yesterday about, about poverty out of nowhere because as we were driving, he saw somebody who was uh, experiencing homelessness on the side of the road and so he had some questions and he had some things that he wanted to say about it and so I had to correct some of his truth about these things and what was funny is he could not reconcile in that moment. Why? Because his life has been birthed in comfort. And there's nothing wrong with comfort until our comfort impedes upon our trust and faith in Jesus. That's when comfort is gone awry. That's when comfort keeps us distant from this idea that this side of heaven, I have not meant, been meant to take up residence, but rather I've been meant to be on mission because this is just a vapor. This is just a moment. I've got a better place that he's preparing for me. Oh, he's waiting for me. And I groan and he groans. And the crazy thing is right now, many of us are freaking out because we're experiencing the very groaning that the Bible is telling us about. They're like, why do I feel some sort of way? It's called groaning. And that's not hunger in your stomach. <laughs> All right? So I want to talk about some truth Jesus reveals to us in, 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 these, in this scripture. John chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, just go there because we're going to just like kind of speed through an entire chapter of the Bible. Does that work? I'm going to try my best in 13 minutes. Many of you who have been here long enough are like, nope. <laughs> Not going to happen. So John chapter 14, here's the first reason. Ever shot number one? Here's the first reason Jesus says that we can trust him. It's because in Jesus we have seen God. In Jesus we have seen God. This deals with our existence issue. And the existence issue is that, like, did, did he really exist? So Jesus says, if you have seen me, here it is, John chapter 14, verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. It's a big, big house. None of you have heard that song before. <laughs> lots and lots of rooms. <laughs> this is how I dance. My daughter dances that way now. She's four years old. She's like, like this. And my wife's like, why are you doing that? <laughs> right here. There's many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Okay, right here, Jesus establishes that he's a truth teller. I want you to see that in the scripture. He says, I wouldn't tell you something that's not true. And if you go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. And you know, the, you know where I'm going. Lord Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. 
How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord said, Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us, as the disciples are slow on the uptake. And Jesus said to him, I have been among you all this time. This is what Pastor Erica was talking about a minute ago. And you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe in me. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. One of the greatest reasons that we do not trust God is because we do not see. And so Jesus deals with the sight issue by saying that if you've seen Jesus, we've seen God. Now, this is the point of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, 2, 3. It says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made of things that are not visible. Every shout sight. There has to be a moment where we move from doubt And fear to sight. Or better said, we have to move from unbelief to belief. Trust is always the product, write this down, this is important for us to understand. It would have been on the TV. Trust is always the product of belief. When there is lack of trust or no trust at all, it's because we simply do not believe something. The assumption that is made is that when I trust someone or something, it's because I believe in them and I believe upon them. Trust does not come before belief. Okay, I'll prove it. Many of you in here today are going to listen to what I say, but your trust will be minimal because you don't know me. Is that fair? Now, you'll start to gain trust the more that you're around here and you go, oh, like he, he does this and, and you're gonna start to look at character and integrity and systems and procedures and, and you're gonna start to generically go after time, there, there seems to be stability around here and there seems to be truth around here and so therefore, as you start to believe at a, at a practical level, you'd be like, okay, I, I can trust the well. Come on. This is the same process that we have to go through with God. And Jesus is proving it. He's saying, listen, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. This is the sight issue. And I need you to begin to trust because you see me. And I just need us to know today that as we read this word, and as we engage in worship, and as we engage in community, we are actually seeing Jesus. This is the body that he is building. And so our sight starts to shift our trust. I cannot trust that which I do not believe in. Here's the interesting thing. Many of us want God to do what we do not trust him to do. Think about that. Many of us are praying prayers for him to do something that we do not trust he'll do in the first place. It's getting quiet today. (laughs) Think about that. That's why it's a a really important thing. 
Many of us are saying like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in my prayer. As, as Pastor Eric is praying this morning, I'm going to trust you or I'm going to pray these things to you, but I don't actually trust you. So really what you're doing is this. I want you, but I don't trust you. I need you, but I don't trust you. And how many of you know that in relationship, if you do not trust somebody, there's not proximity? Because you won't be close to somebody you do not trust. I love it when we walk into a new place with my four-year-old. She just turned four yesterday. It's awesome. And she's all spitfire. But I love it when we walk into a new place. Come on, parents, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And because you trust somebody who's in the room, you try to like push your kid to trust them automatically. Right? Look, it's Joey. I say hi to Joey. And your four-year-old does what my four-year-old does and grabs onto my leg and she's like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't know him. You know him, but I don't know him. Right? And so some of us are walking in here today holding on to all the things that we're holding on to in the world because we don't trust Jesus yet. And I'm just trying to push us in the process of it. And it's okay. It's okay. But as you get to know him and as you get to see him, you start to let go. Go, wait a second. I don't need these. I need him. Someone shot number two. Here's the second thing that Jesus tells us is that in Jesus we have authority. That's why we can trust him. This deals with our experience issue. John chapter 14, 12 through 14 says this, truly I tell you the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, ever shout whatever? whatever. Come on, ever shout whatever? Whatever you ask in my, my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, what we have to remember here is that Jesus is not talking about some magical incantation. He's dealing with an authority that comes by the alignment of will. And alignment of will comes by relational involvement and oneness. A lot of people get tripped up over the ask whatever part of this because we go like, oh, Jesus said ask whatever, and you're like, I want a new car. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that we tend to treat Jesus like a cosmic genie in a bottle? And what he's saying is like, no, 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 he's not actually saying ask for whatever you want. He's saying whatever uh, you want in accordance with God's will. And in order to know God's will, I have to be in relationship with him. How many of you know that in my marriage, in order, to, in order to work appropriately together, I've got to be in relationship with her, close proximity to understand her will and for her to understand my will? It's a relational aspect. It's a relational thing. And so many of us, the reason that we're frustrated in the moment that we're in culturally and within society and within the world is because we're asking God to do things that don't necessarily line up with his will. Now, but wait a second, Jason. It sounds like asking God to rescue all these people or to make earthquakes stop or to make floods cease or to do all these different things, that sounds like a pretty good will. And I think God should do those things. Well, that's why we have to go back to Romans and understand there's some things in the world that are happening because the world that we live in is broken. And that many times his will is actually seen and done in and through hardship. That's why he would say to these people, they knew all these things, injustice and, and, and pain and suffering and disease and famine and all the things that we're seeing 
In highlight right now, Jesus spoke into those things. He says, listen, you're going to suffer through all these things. You're going to go through all of these things. You have to understand that my will is so much bigger than this temporal moment. Where I'm trying to go with us, church, right now is is laying down this foundational truth because my concern is this as your pastor today, is that some of us are prescribing to a thought process and a belief in Jesus that won't actually point us to Jesus. And then when suffering happens and hardship happens and all these things happen, we don't know what to do with ourselves. And I just need us to know today that we have an anchor in Jesus, that we have somebody that we can put our faith and our trust in, even when we are experiencing hardship. But once again, what hardship are we really experiencing? I want to say this is a very hard truth but I just want us to grab a hold of it today. I believe that for many of us, our Christianity is simply a process of trying to get Jesus to align with our will and personal agenda. And then when he does not conform to our will, we cancel him. Am I talking to anybody in church today? (laughs) Can we do that? Oh, see, he's not good. Cancel. And like we do on Facebook and Instagram, unfollow. I'm done. The whole premise of scripture is not for his will to align with our will, but for our will to align with his will. And when we try to get Jesus to conform to our will, it's the, it's simply the expression of mistrust in him. See, trust in Jesus means that we will trust his will for our lives and humanity as a whole, even when it does not make sense to us. Number three, every shot, number three. In Jesus, we're given a counselor. Oh, come on, somebody. We love this part. This is the good news part. This deals with our proximity issue. These are all the reasons that we mistrust is because I can't see, I don't experience. So I'm just trying to show you that we can see, we can experience, and now we have proximity. John 14, 15 through 17, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now, you've heard, you've heard me say this a couple times. I'm, a, I'm an advocate for counseling. I'm an, I'm an advocate for therapy. We have, we have therapists here and counselors here, even in, in our church. I don't go to them. I go to somebody else, just so you know. <laughs> But I advocate for these things. I think it's really great. But I've, I've started to notice this, this trend as I, t- as I talk to people. It's therapy one day, two days, three days, and, and it's all like, and then I go get my, my Manny and my Petty and I take vacation. I actually don't do that. But and we take vacations and we buy new things and we do all the things for self-care and we promote self-care and we promote self-care and it's all about me being healthy, me being healthy. And then I've started to notice that when all the health that we're doing, we're still so sick. Have you noticed that? Because at the end of the day, you can see as many therapists as you want, as many counselors as you want, but they're still the great counselor. They're still the one that has been given to us to navigate this life. And I believe that this is such an important truth to anchor us today as we've seen and as we see so many things, people, information, ideologies, and decisions in front of us on any given day. 
The truth is that many of us are simply drowning in a sea of anxiety and fear and uncertainty, and our ability to make sound and informed decisions is becoming increasingly more difficult. How many of you agree with me? Decision fatigue is a real thing right now. What do I do? What do I do? I've heard this is the lament of so many people. And for some of us today, the concept of the Holy Spirit is complicated. Like I said, this is a different message today. I'm trying to work through some theological truths with us today. Is that all right with everybody? Because at the end of the day, I can try to get you to anchor in emotion, or I can get you to anchor in conviction and truth. And I don't know if you might agree with me, but the church for about 20 years now has worked really hard at getting us to anchor in emotion. So we try to prop things up and get you happy, and church is happy, and everything's happy, and everything's just big smiles, and and it's like, how you doing today? And I'm doing so good, and I feel so good, and everything is awesome. And then you hit Monday, and you don't have Devon up here singing sweet melodies of worship in your ear. Then you say things, oh man, I just wish I could have worship like that every single day. Do you know how weird that would be if they showed up in your bedroom? (laughs) Right when you woke up, just playing the jam, right? But here's what I need you to understand is that all of these things, while they are great, they do not have the power and the ability of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You and I can wake up every single day and we have access to the Holy Spirit. And so where I'm shaken, he gives stability. Where I have decision fatigue, he helps me with wisdom and insight. Come on, somebody. It's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, we need to understand that I've given you this. Now, I want to to read something to you in this book that I just got done reading. It's called Rejoice and Tremble. Author Michael Reeves says it like this. The very shape of the gospel we proclaim will speak loudest about how we most essentially think of God. And he goes on to say this, there is no question that the early Christians were struggling to describe the relationship between the members or persona of what today we call the Trinity. So we must be exceedingly careful in our theological formations, not to treat some inspired biblical statements as illegitimate because they do not fit into our Western style of formulations. We must always remember that God is bigger than our formulations, and we will never pour the ocean of God's truth into the teacup of our minds or completely encapsulate truth in our neat little formulations about God. Can I just say this? He is bigger than what we understand. And if God could fit into the box of our mind, then he wouldn't be God. He would just simply be created. So in all this, there's a faith. Come on, someone shout faith. Faith. There's a faith aspect. I'm going to give us the last truth today. That Jesus tells us, he says, in Jesus we have peace. This deals with our presence issue. John chapter 14, verse 27 says this, peace I leave with you. Come on, can we say amen this morning to that? How many of you, show of hands, let's just be honest in church today, how many of us need some peace right now? I need peace. As I've been examining this, I want to try to just make this like real time for us. Um, Eric and I just got back from let's call it a mini sabbatical after we went through some personal tragedy in our lives and 
just needed a little bit of a break. And I really just started to dig into some, some new things. Because how many of you know tragedy has a way of triggering some stuff? So I started to sit back and read the Gospels again, and read various portions of, of Scripture, and man, God just challenged the crazy out of me. And if I'm honest with you, up to about eight, eight weeks ago or so, I struggled like to sleep at night at times. And I like to say that it was a product of a busy mind or somebody who's thinking great things, but it wasn't. I struggled sleeping at night and would wake up periodically because I was anxious in my head. Come on. I was anxious in my heart. And so I thought, oh, well, that's just a product of being a leader. Lack of sleep. And then I started to realize that I was missing something that's inherently powerful in my relationship with God. And it's peace. Oh, I'm good at doing things. And I'm good at, at worshiping. And I'm good at where there's a thing that I get to do in my faith. But what about the thing you can't produce? peace because I want to I want to just give us some truth today which is this you and I cannot produce peace it's not part of our job description that's why Jesus said I leave you with peace it's a gift that I give you in the 2018 in 2018 the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology reported something very fascinating concerning the experience of awe and its ability to promote greater humility and peace in our lives. Listen to what they wrote. When individuals encounter an entity that is vast and challenges their worldview, they, they feel awe, which leads to self-diminishment and subsequently humility. They would go on to write, inducing awe led participants to present a more balanced view of their strengths and weaknesses to others and acknowledge to a greater degree the contribution of outside forces in their own personal accomplishments. This is important because many of us, the absence of peace in our lives is not just due to external situations, but because we're trying to play God in our own lives. By taking on a weight of the world, both globally and personally, and simply put, you were